following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. People, I've got a passage here that I'd like to share. It's really come as uh, one of my favourites. Um, so you might like to just listen, or you might like to follow. So I want to read out of Acts chapter 9. In the section that I want to read, it actually follows um, Saul's, you know, Damascus Road conversion experience. So it's the next section. So he's just had this incredible encounter uh, with the living Jesus. And what happens next? Um, it goes like this. So you might like to follow. It's Acts 9 verse 10. Now in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up, said the Lord to him, and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Look, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming and laying his hands on him so that he can see again. Because in the experience that Saul had on the road, the light was such that, you know, he kind of lost his sight. Well, Lord, replied Ananias, I've heard about this man from several people, all about how he's done wicked things to your holy people in Jerusalem. And now he's come here with authority from the chief priests to tie up everybody who calls on your name. Just go, replied the Lord. He's a chosen vessel for me to carry my name before nations and kings and the children of Israel too. I'm going to show him how many things he is going to have to suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias set off and went into the house and laid his hands on him. Brother Saul, he said, the Lord has sent me. Yes, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, so that you may be able to see again and receive the Holy Spirit. And at once something like scales fell off his eyes, and he was able to see, and he got up and was baptized. He had something to eat and regained his strength. Now Saul stayed with the disciples in Damascus, Damascus for a few days and at once he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues and the rest of the passage goes on like verse 22 but Saul grew all the stronger and then verse 24 but Saul got wind of their plan and it goes on and I'll make the relevance of that later on so that's my text this morning um, people I'm a storyteller I'm a natural storyteller and um well, I'd like to think maybe I'm a gifted storyteller, but that will soon be judged. Um, but um, I've come here to share various stories with you and make a connection with that story. Uh, just by way of setting a scene for this week, setting a scene for Saturday, setting a scene for Ruby sharing next Sunday. And so here's the first story that I would like to share. And as I'm sharing it, see if you can try and make any connection between this story and the Ananias story that I've just read. How many here have been to Australia? Most in the room. How many have lived in, this, in Australia? Many in the room, oh, several in the room. Um, so I've lived over there, I've lived in Tasmania, and I've lived also in Melbourne. I would consider Melbourne one of the best cities in the world. I love Australia. 
And um, while we were living there, I got to hear this story, and it goes like this. How many here have read Tim Winton? Okay, an illiterate lot. Um, <laughs> I saw one hand. <laughs> For those um, uneducated here, uh, Tim Winton is an award-winning novelist out of Australia. Worldwide, no one except here <laughs> in Albany. Um, and Tim, he was being interviewed. He's being interviewed um, as this, you know, prize-winning novelist. And the interviewer by the name of Denton said to Tim, Tim, I believe that when you were aged five, something momentous, truly traumatic, but dramatic, happened to you. Would you mind sharing that part of your story? And Tim, as this older man, said, no, I don't mind. So he recounted what happened when he was five. And it basically goes like this. When he was the little boy that he was, his father was a policeman. And he was a motorbike policeman. Have you heard this? When the person who put their hand up. Um, he was a motorbike policeman, and he was involved in a horrific crash. Dad. He was reduced to a coma, taken to hospital, eventually came out of the coma, and in time, in the ambulance, was taken back home. And as the ambulance drivers, you know, kind of picked up this hulk of a man and brought him through the door. You know, Tim and the rest of his siblings, along with his mother, they looked at this man who was bent all out of shape, black and bruised kind of, you know, not the father, not the husband that they had known. And so they all kind of stepped back as you would. And so... This guy was put into bed, and then the daily struggles began. And one of the marked struggles was for mum. How do I bathe my man? She was a small, petite woman, and he was a hulk of a man. And she really struggled to bathe her man in those days. And so the word got round town that this was her particular struggle. So one day there was a knock at her door, and she opens the door, and here's this Aussie bloke. And he basically says to her, <laughs> he says, I, I hear you blokes in a bit of bother. Uh, look, I practice this. <laughs> and uh, is there anything I can do? You know, uh, it's the best I can do. Uh, and she said, well, yes, there is. And she, she made mention of, you know, I struggled to bathe my man. So this Aussie bloke by the name of Len, you know, he fronted up day in, day out, week in, week out, month after month after month. Came into the house, derobed him as it were, took him to the bath, washed him, towed him off, clothed him up again, and placed him back in bed. This Aussie bloke by the name of Len, you know? And, but here's the thing. As Len was doing this thing, Tim and the rest of the family, they were all eyes. 
They just looked at this thing being acted out and acted out every day, week and month. And then as Tim was being interviewed and retelling this, he said, when each one of us came to a time of spiritual awakening in our lives, we remembered what Len did. And it flipped us into the next phase of our own particular spiritual searching. Now in Australia today, everybody, everybody knows Tim. No one knows Len, but in heaven, Len is a legend. Did you get that? And you see, you come to the story of Ananias. I mean, here's Ananias, and he's having a vision about someone else who's having a vision about him. It's confusing. And, and then the Lord basically says to Ananias, I want you to go and pray for this guy by the name of Saul. And of course, that just makes, you know, Ananias kind of scared, I don't know, fill out the rest of the sentence. He just absolutely, you know, fear wells up within Ananias' skin bag, you know? That's his body, by the way. And, um, and he thinks, no way! You know, and he sort of has this debate with Jesus about, you know, haven't you heard? You know, well, of course, Jesus knows all about it. But, you know, Ananias doesn't want to go and pray. I mean, it's hard enough normally to go and pray for someone, especially a stranger. But in Saul's case, this guy Saul, well, you know, he was staunch. He was like, he was sort of um, this, you know, fanatical, hard-lined ultra-nationalist, super-orthodox, pharisaical Jew. I mean, think Taliban. He was one scary son of Israel. <laughs> I mean, that basically is Saul. He really, really was. But the beautiful thing with Ananias is he is one of those Christians who does what he's told to do. I don't know how many there are here, but he does what he's told to do. So he rocks up to Saul's place. And he goes, walks towards this guy, lays his hands on him, and prays for Saul. Saul recovers his sight. And then here's the number. If you read the rest of the text, it's all about Saul. It's about Saul. It's about Saul. It's about Saul. And that's okay. But you're left wondering, what the heck about Ananias? And here's the thing. We do not hear about him again. And when I read that, I thought, man, that is just so close to life. That, you know, there come those times in your life and my life, there just come those times where you just know that this is one of those moments and I must get it right. You somehow know that they're a hinge moment and a lot hangs on it. A lot could swing by it. And you can't get it wrong. You've got to get it right. And in this moment, Ananias got it right. 
And here's the thing. Everybody, everybody has heard about Saul. But we don't hear about Ananias again. But I'll tell you this. In heaven, Ananias is a, Ananias is a, a legend. Is this complicated? You know, I heard of this wonderful story about this guy called Eric. And Eric, he creamed the exams at school. And he did so well, he went to one of the prestigious universities in the United States. And he just aced all the tests. I mean, he just was ahead. Just did so well, you know. And everyone said to him, you're just going to, you know, you're on a trajectory to stardom. This is what, and he wanted to become this award-winning kind of fiction writer novelist, this guy by the name of Eric. He left the university, and the only job that he could score post-university was proof-texting chemical textbooks in a concrete cell in a cold kind of office building in the back corner. And for him, this was a huge disappointment. Now, if someone here, your job is proof-testing chemistry textbooks, good on you. Do you know what I mean? Well done you. But it's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to be the supreme writer. So he used to rock up to this office block, you know, walk down this narrow kind of corridor and go to his little cell block where he proof-texted these books. And as he walked down the corridor, he got to know a chap in one of the offices in his workplace. And the guy he got to know was a guy called Ed. Ed. And Ed, he was one of those smiley Christians. You know, everything lit up. Um, he had perfect teeth, you know, everything lit up. Um, Ed... And, and, you know, they fell into this kind of routine. Ed would go, hi, you know, and, and Eric would go, mm, you know, hi. And this became the pattern for a long time. And then there was one particular day when Eric was walking down the corridor, and, I mean, he usually hunched, but this time his head was hanging low. And Ed said, what's the matter? What's, what's going on? And um, Eric he said, oh, if you don't mind me saying, oh, my effing, you know, family. And then he went on like this. And then he said, oh, and, and then he said, I've got an uncle and he's been, you know, diagnosed with cancer. And he just, you know. And um, Ed said, I'll pray for him. I'll pray for him. And, you know, Eric just you know, not being a believer, well, I had an argument. And, um, <laughs> you know, and Ed basically had to say to him, you know, well, you may be wrong about your view of God, but they left it at that. And the weeks went by, and then one day Eric came in, and like, he was dragging his head this time, you know. Things were so low. And uh, Ed said, has it got worse? And Eric said, yes, it's, it looks like his number's up. And so Ed said, come in here, come in here. 
So Eric went, sit down, sit down. So they sat down in the little cubicle. And uh, Ed said, we are going to pray together. First time they've done this. We're going to pray. And, um, and you're going to pray with me. And so Ed, the Christian, began to pray for the uncle. And as they prayed, something happened in Eric. Isn't this amazing? Something happened in Eric as they were praying for someone else. And as a result of that, Eric's heart was opened and he saw Christ. And he became a Christ follower. And today, he's a well-known writer in Christian, non-Christian circles in the States. I've read a number of his books, and everybody in America knows about Eric Matakis. Do you? <laughs> but you see, no one but no one knows about Ed. But I can tell you that today in Ed is a legend. Are you getting this? I just want to finish with one more little story. Because this is an intro to what is on Ruby's and my heart for you guys. And really thank you for inviting us. Uh, I drove six hours to get here. And this afternoon I drive six hours to go back. I have suffered in your name. <laughs> and everybody will remember you, but I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm a legend. Uh, it goes like this. Now, some of you may be disturbed by this final story, but I think... Everyday ordinary stories have their complexities and they need to be told. So there was this woman by the name of Rosario. She was a lecturer in academic circles. She was far out there to the left, politically, morally, ethically, socially. She headed up Marxist groups on campus. She was a practicing lesbian. She headed up the gay movement on campus. She was on the marches that protested against all manner of things. She was writing a book taking on Christendom. And she had the TV on as she was writing this book. And as she was writing a very extreme right-wing Christian pastor came out and he was being interviewed. I'm talking about far right. She was far left. And he came out and he said, basically feminism is to be blamed for most of the ills on planet Earth. <laughs> that got her attention. <laughs> and... He went on to say that, you know, when we think of feminism, it's, 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 it's basically turned husbands away from their wives, it's destroying capitalism, it's killing children, it's creating lesbians, and it's ruining, you know, the American way, and, you know, it's, it's unsettling the planet, it's going off its axis, and so forth and so on. And she was so riled by this. 
Rightly so, in my opinion. I mean, that's just an unthinking, irrational comment. And, and so uh, she thought, I am going to take this person on. So she wrote a letter. Da, 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 da. Got it published in various circles, and then she waited. Waited for what? The mail. And so she knew it was going to come, so she got some tissue boxes. She took the tissues out of this tissue box and put that box there. Took the tissues out of this box and put that box there. And then inevitably the mail streamed in. You know, hard copy mail. Sometimes online she had it all printed. And then she would read this stuff. Uh, hate mail over there. Hate mail. Hate mail. And that box filled up really quickly. Oh, sympathy, sympathy, sympathy. And then one day... She got a letter, and she read this letter, read it right through, and thought, uh, uh, I don't know where to put it. Screwed it up. Threw it over into the other cabinet, the one on the floor, the rubbish tin, and left it there. She went about her business that day, and then it, she couldn't get the contents of that letter out of her mind all day. So later that afternoon, she went to the rubbish tin, she pulled it out, she unraveled it, and she read it again. And she was impressed by this letter. It was a letter that disagreed with her, but it was a letter that honored her humanity. It was a letter that questioned her premises and did they match her conclusions, but it was a letter that basically was people honoring. And she just didn't know what to do with it. And then she read it through again and noticed that actually it was signed by Ken and Flo. Don't you love all these names? You know, Len, Ed, Ken and Flo. If you've got that name, you're a legend. <laughs> and she read from Ken and Flo and... Right at the bottom, they said, P.S., and by the way, if you want to come to our place for dinner, you're most, in, most welcome. So she thought she'd take up on the invite. She went to their place and discovered that he was a Presbyterian minister. And so for seven years, she rocked up to their place, Ken and Flo, went to their gay parties, not at all affirming, as it came out in discussions, non-affirming. They swapped books, and Ken and Flo did read the books for seven years. And then after seven years, you know, this lady by the name of Rosario, she had a live-in lover, a woman, and then one Sunday morning, she got out of bed and said to her lover, I'm going to church. Well, that sent the other one into shock. Um, but Rosario turned up to Ken and Flo's church and attended for five years. Five years. And after that five-year period, so it's seven plus five, there was one Sunday she was just in the back row and her heart was opened and she saw Jesus Christ. 
Now, what happened next does not happen to everybody. You need to hear this. I've done study in the area of sexual, uh, human sexuality. It's very complex. Just last weekend, I had to give a, a talk on the pastoral response to the LGBT community in front of 700 uh, youth pastors and so on. So this is a very complex area. But in her instance, um, she fell in love with a man. And he was a Presbyterian minister. And so she and her man are now, uh, they've got a ministry in North Carolina. Her name is Rosario Butterfield, written a wonderful book. And as a result, she's been on TV and all over the place. And here's my point. In many, many different circles now, everybody knows about Rosario Butterfield. But Ken and Flo, well, in heaven, they are absolute legends. So I want to finish. When you break these stories down, you know, for Len, it was someone in his neighborhood. And for Ananias, it was someone in his vicinity. And for uh, Ed, thanks, uh, <laughs> for Ed, it was someone in his workplace. And for, Ed, uh, for Ken and Flo, it was someone in their town. These are ordinary people who kind of did uncool things. I'm getting tired of, you know, I think the call is to be uncool. We're brought into this, you know, to be cool kind of Christians. No. I, I'm actually getting tired of the so-called radical Christianity. As though the Christian walk is the high wire, you know, extreme sports type thing. Actually, to be a Christ follower is just about bathing someone, inviting someone for dinner, saying hi with a cheesy smile every day until maybe, who knows, the unexpected happens. I don't know. This is all doable. This is you. This is me. Amen? Can I pray? Now, God, when I think of the board behind me and it's got Team A and it's got Team B, and we often do that and we put, you know, Saul who became Paul and Team A, and we put Ananias and Ed and Flo, we put them somehow in Team B. But thank goodness, Lord, with you there's just one team and we're all in that one team. And I want to thank you that you are inviting us into being legends in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our cities, in our regions, that we too may be also legends in your place, in heaven. I can't think of a better way to live. Thank you for this invitation. And we all said, Amen. Amen. 
this has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.